welcome to the Writer's Block podcast. I'm writer Polly Roberts and every episode I will be in conversation with another Cornwall-based writer, discussing process, why we write and the part Cornwall plays in our work. I hope you find some wisdom and inspiration in what you hear. The Writer's Block is the creative writing centre for Cornwall. With innovation and creativity at our heart, we offer both a place to write and a unique approach to developing confidence and skills in writing for everyone. In this episode, I will be speaking to Brett Harvey. Brett is a writer and director based in Cornwall. His debut feature film, Weekend Retreat, won multiple awards, including Best Director at the London Independent Film Festival. His latest feature film, Long Way Back, has just recently been released and will hopefully be in cinemas later in the autumn. He has made many shorts and music videos, including Hand, that documented his diagnosis with young onset Parkinson's disease. He's a member of the BBC Writers' Room Cornish Voices, and we're so happy to have him as our guest today. Hi, Brett, and welcome to the podcast on a really sunny bank holiday weekend. (laughs) Yeah, we have managed to pick (gasps) the most glorious day to be inside recording a podcast. I know. I felt really bad because someone I met this morning on the dog walk said to me that it's then going to rain tomorrow and Sunday and I just couldn't stop feeling guilty for dragging you back inside but thank you (laughs) no not at all I'm gonna as soon as this recording finishes I'm gonna run and jump in the sea yay (laughs) can you reach it from yours I can't quite picture it yeah so low beach is um like sort of five minutes away basically oh my god Okay, amazing. Yeah, okay, that's great. I will f- not feel at all guilty then and just know that you're going to do that at the end. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, I, you're the first screenwriter that we've had on the podcast. I mean, is that what you call yourself as well as a director? Screenwriter and director, or is it just writer and director? Um, I've always sort of said writer and director because I've always been slightly too timid to say writer when I'm just writing on a project it's it's only been in the last 18 months that I've sort of started saying writer when I'm not directing something oh how is that to start doing it (laughs) it's quite sort of nerve-wracking because you have that imposter syndrome thing of going well I don't really know what I'm doing (laughs) but I've I've since realized in the last few years that it it, apparently nobody knows really what they're doing (laughs) Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's a it's a very unique way of writing and I'm I'm really curious about how you discovered that genre of writing that niche that area to write in. Yeah, I it, it's a very unique way of writing because I had never thought about it in these terms before but I was having a conversation with a screenwriter I know called Neil Fox, Dr. Neil Fox, works down at Falmouth University. Mm. And he said, the thing about writing a screenplay is you're writing something, but the screenplay is never the finished form. Mm. It's a stepping stone to the finished form. So it's a very different kind of writing Mm. because you just need it to work at that level. But you know it's going to change when it gets on set and then you know it's going to change when it gets into the edit. So I don't... I can't really think of any other form of writing that goes through such a stringent no. process. God, that's fascinating. And that, that I don't even know where I'd begin with knowing that because, yeah, how do you know when it's finished? How do you know when you've finished writing that screenplay? <laughs> well, normally, so I write and direct. So certainly when I, I've, I've written and directed three feature films and mm. the point at which you know it's finished is the point at which you have no more time to change the script <laughs> which which can get alarmingly close to the first day of shooting and and on long way back which is the feature the last feature i directed yeah. the script actually changed uh, a week into the shoot i had to rewrite something one night wow because uh we were so low budget we couldn't move any of our shooting days and the weather was absolutely going to be against us so i had a five page dialogue scene between two characters that I had to rewrite completely changed basically because it was too complicated to shoot oh and we, we weren't going to get a window and we we made the call on the Monday and we were filming on the Wednesday so 
Wow. Uh, we were on set when we made the call on Monday. We shot all day Tuesday, and then I rewrote it Tuesday night, and then wow. we, fi- we filmed it on the Wednesday. I mean, so. to me, that's also part of how it's completely different to other writing because it's part of an industry that is so much faster moving. I, I can't imagine, you know, one of the things for me with writing is I can spend a long time deciding exactly how to portray an idea and really working into it and having all that control. And yet on set, decisions have to just be made in a flash. And so is that a skill for you to be able to do that? I think so, yeah. I actually quite enjoy that side of it because you're everybody's working so intensely and working so hard on it. It, there's, There's a certain kind of thrill that comes from going oh we make the decision there and then and then you watch the film back a year later with an audience and you go god that bit's good (laughs) we really got lucky when we made that decision or oh we got away with that it's not as good as it could have been but uh, we Mm. got away with that moment but it's it's there's a sort of adrenaline rush that comes from it and I I think uh, I'm not great at sort of highlighting my own skills I suppose but Mm. one of the things I think I am quite good at is making decisions quickly Mm. I think I think that makes a good filmmaker yeah I was gonna say I don't think you can go into directing without that skill because that must be so much a part of what you do and and it's interesting that that adrenaline works for you because I know that of myself now I'm thinking oh that's why it doesn't work for me because I know that in general (laughs) in life I really don't work well when there's an adrenaline rush I don't even enjoy adrenaline in any way (laughs) I avoid anything where my adrenaline will get going and so that that thought to me of oh my gosh having to call that call and say yeah I'm going to rewrite this whole scene by a couple days time is just immense to me and yet it's it's like the absolute classic of the kill your darlings moment isn't it you just let something go and recreated something and it sounds like you have comfort in that yeah there's a sort of I think I think because the features that I've made have all been so micro budget they're all so low budget you're at the mercy of fate basically you just don't have any time or space or money to do anything so there comes so I was talking we did a Q&A for a long way back and somebody asked me about this and I've never articulated it in this way before until this Q&A but when I'm writing I'm very very you have to be really specific the words are this the dialogue is this the rhythm is this but then weirdly when you're directing you have to be the opposite of that and you have to go with the sort of wave crashing on the shore because you'll work with Mm. an actor who will read a line of dialogue in a way that you never would have perceived it sounding and you have to fight the writer in you that goes no it doesn't sound like that and embrace the director in you to go oh it's really interesting wow. if you say it like that what does that mean how does that open it up yeah and that's that's where the sort of you you have to be very you have to very much go with the flow on low budget yeah. filmmaking yeah that's really beautiful flow was the word that was coming to me and and i i feel like the flow for you to to be able to jump from one role to another to be able to to go from writer mind to director mind and and be see where those those unique moments are coming up and where it actually works and where it doesn't making making the call in a totally different way isn't it you made a call as a writer and then you're making a call as a director even though it's your own precious words you can see it differently and that's really interesting dynamic within yourself to be playing out actually yeah and it sort of it taps into why I love making films because I love that moment I can only make something if I have that lovely moment of going of being able to turn to somebody on set and go I can't believe we're getting away with this right that's what I sort of long for is that feeling of getting away with it Mm. which is which is the sort of the sort of joy of it and the fun of it because it's it they're long days and it's it's hard work and there's lots of people working on it but you you can never you can't ever let go of the sort of joy of it. Because I first started making films in my back garden with tomato ketchup for blood and <laughs> with my mates and stuff. But to me, the features that I work on are still that thing nice. in a weird sort of yeah. way. There's just a lot more people and the blood has become much more realistic looking. <laughs> and but, but the joy of it should stay the same. I think we're getting away with this. We're making this thing. This is really fun. And it does come back to that imposter syndrome as well of someone will ask you a question on set 
and in my head I'll go, oh, I have no idea. But somehow the director in me answers the question and then my brain goes, oh, yeah, I suppose that is the answer. And it's like fun little things like that. Yeah. I just, I really love that side of it. It's lovely. It sounds like it kind of taps into your cheeky child side that they're like, oh, you know, I can, I can put on my show and yeah I can do this but actually then also realizing that you're meeting your adult self there and going no I I actually can this is actually (laughs) working now yeah it's it's and it's it's the same as any sort of creative process as well because everything you do if you're creating something starts with you in a room on your own going well I think this is a good idea and then you work on it for a while and eventually you have to show it to somebody so in my case it would be the producer I work with who's also my older brother Simon Mm. and that's a moment where you go so I've had this idea is this a good idea and he'll sort of look at it and go yeah I think that is a good idea and then more and more people start going yeah I think that's a good idea and they come on board and then you make the film and you eventually put it in front of an audience and go so is this a good (laughs) idea and they then they tell you if it was a good idea or not the only problem is that process takes between three and five years so yeah it's very much delayed gratification wow and uh, yeah how do you deal with that then do do you carry with you that that slight uh, unnerviness of, of the validation whether it's going to keep coming from the next people that need to validate it <laughs> yes uh, constantly <laughs> constantly going so we did a we screened earlier this year at the Manchester Film Festival which was really fun because it's a film festival and that has a sort of certain buzzy energy and I got very nervous before the screening of that but yeah. then we did a couple of screenings in Cornwall sort of hometown screenings just because so many people were asking us about it we were like okay we'll do a couple of screenings yeah. and I was absolutely petrified at those screenings oh interesting sort of because you go and <laughs> we we made a film side eye called Brown Willie that came out of cinemas a few years ago which was super duper low budget it was just two actors out on Bob Moore. It was a comedy. And I I swear to you, I remember the feeling, the first screening we did, the first public screening, I stood at the back of the cinema and I felt pure fear come out of the earth, into my legs, up through my body. And I went, I was absolutely petrified just as the film began. And I turned to Si and went, what have we done? Oh my God. And he looked at me and he was white as a sheet and he went, I don't know. <laughs> and then the film started. And then people really liked it and really responded to it. And you go, okay, phew. But I I distinctly remember that feeling of going, what have we done? Yeah, wow. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because both, the fact that you've taken on both roles, the writer and the director, often, I guess that means you have a lot of creative control. And then when it comes to that point of sharing, the control is completely lost, isn't it? It's, okay, (laughs) hang on a second. I don't even get this direct feedback as I'm in the process of making so I can change my decision-making processes. It's it's made. And now I'm finding out what everyone outside thinks. And that's what's really tough about a film is there comes a certain point where you have to stop working on it and it's done. Yeah. So there are always things you end up watching the film a couple of times with audiences and going, ah, if we could just change that Mm, little bit. But somebody, I don't know who said it, but there's a famous quote of a film is never finished. It's just abandoned. Mm. There just comes a point where you run out of time and you have to stop working on it. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I guess technically, I mean, I've talked to other novelists who have said, oh, it's interesting. I could have written this in... 20 different ways but at the same time often we've really set on a way and we tested using a different voice or using a different setting or a different character or whatever and it and come to that conclusion but actually I can absolutely see that differing quite a lot in film and how afterwards yeah there there's that opportunity to be able to see all the little oh gosh wow I don't even know <laughs> how you live with yeah. that. And, and also the interesting thing about writing and directing a film is it starts with you writing on your own and then you work I work with Sai very closely he's de facto sort of script editor and we we work very closely on the sort of story and and explore it together but you write it then you take it on set and you make it and you shoot it and things change decisions get made but then in the edit that almost becomes like the writing process again you can completely rewrite the film in the edit you can start the film with a different scene you can add a voiceover you can 
So it's like having a jigsaw puzzle, but with yeah. hundreds of different solutions. Yeah. And it can get very confusing sometimes. Yeah, I bet. And and I I was curious about that because I know you make music videos as well. And I was thinking you, you obviously have the, the big interest in the writing, I imagine anyway, is the narrative. And, and so that point, even when it's a music video, maybe there isn't words that you have written there is still how do I weave together this narrative through images and and it sounds like that's what you're saying comes back in the editing stage the writer in you edits the images together the scenes together in order to try and retell that story again but best as you can it yeah yeah and it's it's really interesting because you'll have a like a sort of dialogue scene between two characters you do an initial edit as a sort of script assembly edit so so as written so what you filmed as written cut in the best way possible and then you kind of look at it and go actually if we take out that line of dialogue or if we end the scene three lines earlier it affects the next scene mm-hmm. in a different way so you can yeah. do all kinds of little micro rewrites on the fly like that wow. um so it, it is it's it's a really sort of interesting process in terms of writing because you're always writing because yeah. those little decisions happen on set as well because somebody will say a line in a different way or certainly certainly in the case of Long Way Back, I was working with uh, the two actors, Tristan Sturrock and Chloe N. Dean play father and daughter in the film. Yeah. But they have very different approaches to the to the dialogue so Chloe's absolutely brilliant. She was 19 when we shot it, but she was so brilliant at taking the dialogue and just making it sound natural. She just has that gift. Mm-hmm. So she could take my dialogue and make it sound natural, whereas Tris takes the dialogue and takes the edges off of it, puts it into his own sort of words and kind of does that thing that I've mm-hmm. never really understood how to do of learning it and then unlearning it, and then mm-hmm. that makes it sound natural. But then you've got two actors working in different ways with the script. Wow. And that was a really fascinating process because the writer in you sort of has to kick in and go, that's good, but I think you do have to hit that yes. bit of phrase or that because that's what's going to lead us into the next scene. Or So you're constantly writing, rewriting on the fly with the film. Yeah. And that's where I imagine you being so lovely, which you are, comes in handy because <laughs> I can't comprehend trying to talk with actors like that to, to make sure that, the story is being claimed through using both their skills and, and, and see where the small amendments need to be able to make and di- do that directing. I I just think that's beyond my skill capacity. So it, I can only imagine it's through you being a, a warm, kind person as well as being able to make those decisions that people respond to that on set. Yeah, and the, the big misconception with directing is people think directing is telling an actor what to do. Yeah. And and it's not. Directing mm. an actor is about working with an actor and sort of going, what are you offering? Here's, here's what I think it is. That's what they think it is. And working together because it's really important to me that the film is just as much Tristan and Chloe's as it is mine. Right. It doesn't matter that I wrote it. We're making it to the, together. It, it needs to be our film. Yeah. And sort of that's, in terms of the sort of writing process, that's how I work with Sai as well, of going... There's no point in making the film unless Sai feels ownership over it. So he right. absolutely develops the story with me as well because it's it's just a better way of working. Yeah. But yeah. directing is a lot about communicating and sometimes an actor just needs you to be the audience. Right. Or sometimes you just need to be there to answer those couple of logic questions. And sometimes an actor needs a lot more than that. And it's it's kind of the more I do it, the more I understand, hopefully anyway. Yeah being there for what that performer needs yeah. or doesn't need. How did how did you learn this in the first place? I mean, how did you end up directing in the first place? And then have you learnt the skills simply from doing or have you learnt from other ways? Yeah, how have you come to knowing those skills and being in this role? Um, so I wanted to be an actor originally because I was good at showing off and I liked making people laugh. I don't think I was a very good actor. I just was loud, essentially. Um, And I wanted to be an actor right up until I went to college. And I wanted to do A-level drama and I didn't really want to do anything else. And at that time, 
you couldn't just do one A level, you had to do something else. So right. I, I really liked films and watching films. So I did like a media studies course. And then I was helping a friend shoot a documentary about his band. But we just happened to have the camera from the college booked out for a couple of nights. So we shot his band one night and then walking home, we were like, we should just make a film. Mm. And he went, yeah, yeah, let's make a film. I was like, all right, let's meet up tomorrow night and make a film. That that was the writing process. Um, and we met up, made a film, like a ridiculous, stupid little 10-minute zombie film. <laughs> Just me and two friends. And then my other friend had a house party a week later. And we told everybody, come to the house party. Oh, it's the world premiere of our film. It's the world premiere of our film. And we we showed it in the living room to, like... I don't know, sort of anywhere between 50 and 80 drunk students crammed into a room. (laughs) And it just, it kicked off and everybody really loved it. And they laughed in all the right places and they they sort of, and it was great. And then the rest of the party people were going, whatever you make next, put me in it, put me in it. It'll be a laugh. And that night I remember thinking, huh, maybe I should do this. And that's how I started making films. And then the sort of journey to writing, um, was I wanted to direct and I didn't have anything to make. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I could come up with some ideas. So I just sort of started kind of scribbling down ideas and then learning how to how to format a script. And the plan genuinely in my head was, I'll do this until I meet somebody that writes scripts and then they can do the writing and I'll do the directing. And then slowly but surely I kept making stuff and wow. going, oh, okay, that works, that doesn't work. And then I sort of figured out I I think I figured out anyway how yeah. to sort of write and how to break a story. And then by that point in my life, we were running a short film night in Truro called Rough Cut above right. a bar. And it was a monthly screening. And basically I was working in a shoe shop and in my spare time making films specifically just to screen at this film night. So I was getting the sort of education of watching what I was making with an audience wow. and going oh yeah. that bit worked that didn't work why didn't that work and that's sort of how I ended up learning how to sort of write and and make stuff Absolutely. and then in terms of working with actors I'm really lucky I grew up so Simon is a theatre director as well so I grew up sort of watching shows and being in rehearsal rooms and seeing people work and I just sort of picked up little tips and tricks and yeah that, that's kind of how I developed as a director Amazing. I think anyway well yeah <laughs> it's, it's a good story anyway <laughs> no but I've told that story enough times to go I know how to tell this I know how to tell a story <laughs> in a way the writer in me kicks in and goes okay give it a three-act structure make sure it pays off <gasps> <laughs> well it works it works I'm addicted um that's it is it's I mean it also it just really brings to me this thought of the joy of of youth in terms of having that freedom in my or not for everybody but to be able to to work in that shoe shop but but find enough joy and thrill in exploring a hobby and without the pressure on it perhaps to be able to actually then learn the skills and and turn that hobby into a career it's something yeah and it's yeah. it's the sort of stupidity of youth yes. and the naivety of youth i wish i was as brave as i was yeah. when i was 19 Me put too. it that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean isn't that amazing I mean, your your stupidity and braveness have just paid off and and given you everything you've got now it's great yeah and i, and I think it's that it's that there's a sort of naivety and stupidity and bravery and tenacity I would say as well of going okay because you know I made stuff for that short film like that really bombed in front of an audience Mm. as well but I had enough in me you know I'd be really gutted and go oh this doesn't oh man or maybe I should give up but I had enough sort of I don't really know what it is sort of maybe just blind bloody mindedness to go no I will be but the next one will be better yeah (laughs) maybe that feeling is what's kept me going for 20 something years now that's lush I mean that comes back to the fact that that child is still in interplaying in your work now that that is still part of what's kind of pushing it forward so yes maybe you've you've grown up and you've not got all of that naivety and and 
bold headedness, but actually you've still got the playful, cheeky part of you that means that you can kind of keep on trying at it again and again and again. I think that's, yeah, it's just I can brilliant. remember being on set on Long Way Back and running out of time and sort of, and, and talking to Adam, the director of photography, about a shot and we couldn't quite work out how to shoot something and it was, you know, everything was very serious. And then Cy was coming over and talking and it was it was like a little it was not like anybody was arguing but it was like a little bit tense it was one of those moments yeah. and then I remember there was just a pause and I turned to Adam and was like God, I love doing this don't you and he was like yeah <laughs> and it was like it was it was that sort of it was those little moments yeah. where the little kid in you is aware enough to go yeah but remember yeah. we do get to make a film and that's brilliant bigger joy is there in the world than that that is so brilliant yeah it's the the bit that can stop taking it so seriously and have all all the pressures on the shoulder and go oh, look at what game we're playing this this is fun isn't it that's yeah yeah and i i just can't for a variety of reasons i just can't do it unless it's fun yeah and, it, and that's not to say that we're not taking it seriously and it's not to say that we're you know everything is really professional everyone's yeah. really looked after the working hours at the working hours but it has to be fun it ha there yeah. has to be that sense of play and sort of fun that's when I kind of do my best work I think that's really nice and that that definitely comes from working in theatre I would say mm, so where did that come from so where did Sai start this journey because you both have ended up in the same industry and doing quite well it's quite phenomenal really was there influence before you two that had led you that way or no I I, I don't know where it sort of came from I've often my mind has been boggled by it for a long time because uh, my mum has never done anything like that and my dad has certainly never done anything in that world but there are three of us I'm one of three brothers so Simon's a theatre director uh, and an actor and a writer himself right my brother Dan is a chef, but he's also a very, very good actor. He just doesn't do it that often. And then I've done a bit of acting and ended up being a writer and director and editor. And it's sort of strange. It is so genuinely sort of strange because neither my mum or dad did anything like that. That's really interesting. It's, yeah, wow. And, and But you're quite supportive of one another. And I mean, how is it to work with your brother on projects? That, that's quite a feat. Yeah, people ask this a lot. I bet. <laughs> it, it's it's really interesting. It's not like working with your brother, I would say. It's not like working with your sibling. It's because we're both very good at going into we're doing a job mode. So so it's never like working with your with your sibling. Right. It's great. In terms of writing, it's really useful because the thing that's really helpful when you're writing is to have somebody that will give you an honest opinion. Yeah. Which is very, very difficult to find. But when it's your brother, he'll give me his absolute mm. unvarnished, honest opinion, which can be very painful and very difficult, but it's always bang on the money. And I really trust his yeah. sort of story instincts and stuff like that. So I, I actually feel very, very blessed to be able to work with him. Yeah, no, that's really, I mean, when you say that, to be honest, when I think about my, I have an older sister and, and I think actually it's the same. There's so much trust there and we know each other so well that actually I can imagine if we could step out of that sibling role, we could really, really help each other and work together. And, and it is different. I guess it's very different to a parental thing. So I've, I've given my family drafts of novels to read before and it's it's definitely harder for me to trust the feedback from a parent because I think they just yeah. want to go, oh, yes, darling, you're doing wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? But actually, when I think about it, I think, yeah, my sister probably would be much more frank and give it to me as it is. Yeah. But Sai is a, is a writer himself, so there's he understands the sort of process of it. Yeah. So Sai's good at, Sai's really good at story logic. He, Sai is annoyingly good at story logic, <laughs> which is that thing when somebody reads a script and goes, yeah, but if they just change the tyre there, then the whole film doesn't happen. Mm. So why don't they change a the tyre? And you go, oh, God, because the film has to happen. But then that forces you as a writer to go back and go, OK, I have to change. work harder in that scene because that's the linchpin for the whole story. Yeah. 
and his instincts are just bang on on stuff like that. He's really good. And and what's great about Sai is he'll never he'll never give a note without a suggestion of an answer or a suggestion of how to push it forward. So he'll go this. I'm not sure about this, but what if it was X, Y, Z? And that's so useful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What a brilliant relationship to be able to have in in a working creative life. I mean, he annoys annoys me no end, and I'm sure I annoy him no end as well. (laughs) And outside of the working life, we are much more like petty, squabbling brothers, but we're very good (laughs) at working together. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious even whether that, whether it brings something new to set actually or or whether it, it yeah it, i mean all working relationships are can are multifaceted aren't they and, yeah. and so long as they work well and and then they bring their own vibe to the to the set so i guess the thing I i'm struggling to thing. say articulate is there's no other agenda you never yeah. get a sense of another yeah. agenda there and that's that's what you need when you're working with with somebody and I, actually, I have that yeah. with all of the creative people that I'm lucky enough to work with. I never get a sense of an agenda. So a key role mm. when you're making a film is director of photography. Like that is a that's a huge, hugely important part of the sort of process. And it's very difficult yeah. if you work with a director of photography who wants to be a director. That that's very difficult. Yes. And, and Adam Lady, who I've worked with on the last two features is a director in his own right he's made some fantastic films himself but there's he never brings an agenda of that to set so you never get right. that feeling that he's trying to direct the film or anything he just has such a brilliant yeah. way of and and he's involved in the sort of story of it as well because again i need him to be because i need everybody yeah. to be part to take ownership of it yeah i'm just really lucky how do you find your crew? How do you find the actors, the director of photography? How how have you held auditions for these things and and led it that way, or do you know them originally? It's it's sort of a combination of meeting people on stuff and knowing people from sort of years back. So Tristan Sturrock, for example, who plays David in Long Way Back, is an actor that yeah. I've known from a distance because of his work with Nehi, and I've worked with him a few times, and he's brilliant get on really well with him but Sai has worked with Tris a lot more and he's just great and he was and when I was writing the script he's who I had in mind for the character so right you sort of try and I try not to write for a specific actor because it's difficult if they then can't do the film that creates a problem but I always kind of imagined him playing the role um, whereas Chloe is somebody that Sai has worked with for years at the youth theatre at Hove Cornwall and I remember him years right. ago going, she's really good. Keep an eye on her. I think she'd be really good and stuff. And then I was lucky enough to work with Chloe on a music video and on a theatre show. And again, it was that thing of going, I think she'd be really good in this role. But Amazing. but then also auditions with actors as well. So I made a film. The first feature I made was called Weekend Retreat. And the key central role was a character called Karen and we had a really hard time casting it we we met up with loads of people say lots of people that Sai had worked with on various things and we screen tested lots of people and then one person that was on the list was a performer called Esther Hall who was in like Spooks and Mm. Rome and um, Queer as Folk back in the day Um, and I met up with her in London and ahead of meeting up with her to talk about the project I kind of was like, she doesn't look like the character. I don't think it's her. Mm. And it was this weird thing as as I met her, she was walking down the corridor towards me and I was like, no, she just doesn't look right for the character. And then she sat down and started talking about the film and the character. And it was that weird sort of thing of within 30 seconds of going, oh, it has to be her because it is, she's taken ownership of the character. She knew things about the character I didn't know and I'd been writing the script for three years. Wow. And that was like, an, and so you do castings to work with actors. In terms of crew, again, that's meeting people on other productions and getting lucky. So, Adam, so I worked with a director of photography called Morgan Lowndes on a couple of short films and their weekend retreat. And then when we were putting together Brown Willie, Morgan was originally going to shoot it, but then couldn't because of a sort of scheduling conflict. And to be honest, my career is dictated by people having scheduling conflict because the stuff I make is so mm. low budget. 
and it was a real shame and I was really gutted and Morgs just couldn't do the project and had had to leave and it was quite close to the shoot and that's like a key role to sort of leave but I knew Adam from years ago so Adam is somebody that Cy and I have been friends with for years but he used to be an actor and worked with Cy on a couple of theatre shows years and years ago and so I was like we should talk to Adam he's he's you know shooting stuff now making his own films and brown willie was all set out on bobman moor so it was all exteriors it was all kind of nature shooting and adam was doing a phd which was finding the rapture in nature through photography so it was like okay this feels right and then i gave him the script and i didn't i didn't tell him anything about how i thought we should shoot it i just went just read it and let's have a chat see what you think he responded really positively and actually the thing that I had in my head was I wanted it shot in a very specific aspect ratio so 235 1 which is quite a wide aspect ratio just to get quite epic shots of the moors and I really wanted to shoot it in black and white because it just felt like it should be in black and white and there were lots of different reasons and I swear this is true we spoke after he'd read the script and he was like yeah I love it I love it before we say anything else these are a couple of bold ideas but I just want to gauge you on it I think it should be 235 one aspect ratio and I don't want to mess with your head but have you thought about shooting it in black and white and I was like okay you're on (laughs) you've got the job we're doing it so uh, but then there's a sound recordist I worked with called Dan Thompson who was I can't even remember how I met Dan it was a head of Brown Willie he was a former student at the university i think Sai had worked with his group and was like oh dan's really nice he, he records sound and that's how he got hired on brown willie we just met up and were very like-minded but then he's come on and worked on long way back with us as well and i hope to work with him mm. in the future and you, you just pick up working with people in different ways but i always like to try and yeah. bring those people over project to project because it's it's a lot easier um yeah yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. that was a very rambly answer and I don't think it answered your question, but I apologise. It was great and it did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, to me, what it really brought up was this feeling of, wow, to be able to access into that faith part of yourself that, that has faith in your feelings, your initial instinct when you meet people and when you start hearing them talking about your project, to to be able to pick up on that creative energy that goes, there's there's something here that's that's going to work, that there's a synergy that's going to pull this off. And and being able to then put your faith into that choice, again, we're talking about decision-making. Is it purposeful of you to have a lot of Cornwall-based people or is it is that practicality or is, what does Cornwall, what part does Cornwall play in your work? Uh, it's a lot of practicality in terms of crewing because the budgets are so low, so it's it's very difficult to sort of look after people if they're coming down from outside of Cornwall. Not to say that that's outside the realms of possibility. But in terms of writing and the stuff that I make, I think Cornwall's very, very important. Certainly in the the writing. I'm very interested in the depiction of Cornwall. So I've made three feature films set in Cornwall and there is not a single shot of the coast or the sea in any of the films. Mm. And that's not ever been a conscious decision. I've only realised it when we were doing Long Way Back. Of, because I I grew up in Truro, so I didn't grow up on the coast. So Cornwall mm. to me is not beaches and seaside initially. That played a large part in my childhood and growing up. But it, it's um, it's not the first thing I sort of think of. And I, I'm quite interested in contemporary stories set in Cornwall. You see a lot of films that are period pieces or TV shows that are period yeah. pieces in Cornwall. And they're great and they have their place, but I'm interested in sort of contemporary stories as well i think i think there's something very interesting going on in cornwall um i think it was mike shepherd from knee said this i had to interview him once for a thing we were doing about knee and i think he said he came i don't want to misquote him but i think he said he came back to cornwall to make work because cornwall feels like a place where you can make stuff where you can get stuff done Mm. and i really that really chimed with me because i do think we're really lucky in cornwall of there is that sort of, you can make it happen. You can make things happen. That it, I don't know. It's, it's like that yeah. brilliant thing of, yeah. if you're if you're looking for a specific plot, uh, prop 
or location or something, the best thing you can do in Cornwall is go on BBC Radio Cornwall or try and get something printed in the West Britain because people will always contact you and go, oh, my mate's got a shed that looks like that. Or some, mm. my partner Emily is a dancer and choreographer and she really needed jam jars for a project. She needed loads of jam jars. So I think she went on the radio and just said, oh, yeah, we, we need some jam jars. And she was getting calls about jam jars from people all over Cornwall for wow. weeks because everybody just in yeah. Cornwall seems to have that. Oh, I'll help. Oh, well, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, It's great. Yeah. That's a yeah. That's a really nice observation. That that community, how it how it can play part when it comes to creativity like that, and and the uniqueness that it serves. And I'm I'm really struck by that in Long Way Back. And I'd love you to tell us a little bit about it because it's also so unique in the fact that it's a road trip movie in the UK. Um, yeah. Well, that was I really wanted to make a road movie because I think they're a very specific sort of genre, but it's quite an American genre normally, because in America you can just get in a car and drive for days because the country's yeah. so big. And there aren't that many road movies necessarily made in the UK because the re the reality is you could sort of drive anywhere in a day, so you have to be quite canny about how the story plays out. Yeah. But I found that I had a couple of different ideas for the sort of story, but it was great. So basically, I dropped out of university. So going back to what we said earlier about the I wish I was as brave as I was when I was 19, I dropped out of university mm. when I was 19. I think I was right. 19 or 20. And the decision-making process was not difficult at all. I just went, I'm not enjoying it. I'm going to go home to Cornwall and make films. Now, I would probably spend six months threatening over a decision like that. But at the time, it was mm. my memory is it was very easy. Anyway, my dad picked me up and we drove home from the Midlands to Cornwall. Uh, and the house I grew up in, I had three brothers, mum and dad, very small house. It was very busy. There were lots of us around. So I don't really have that many memories of my dad and I just spending time together, just the two mm. of us. And we drove home in the car together and basically didn't know what to say to each other so I was sort of thinking about leaving university and and all of those sort of things and I think my dad was kind of confused and didn't know why I was leaving university and it was this very quiet journey all the way back from the Midlands and I remember thinking oh this would make a good setting for a film and then years later after we'd done Brown <sighs> Willie going oh I should do something I want to write a drama I should do something with that and then this idea of in the UK, you can sort of drive anywhere in a day. So you have to, in the writing process, you go, OK, what if the characters aren't in a hurry to get home? And what if they take the long way back? What if they go out of their mm. way to make the journey longer? Why would they do that? Where would they go? And then it just sort of sprouts off from there. That's kind Amazing. of a, the beginnings of the sort of writing process of it, I suppose. Yeah, that's such an interesting concept, an interesting place to kind of start from. And yeah, how so? How are we going to get to this? So now it's it's touring. Is that its next step? Uh, it's still in film festivals at the moment, um, and then we're hoping to do some sort of distribution later on this year. So the the, the hope would be certainly in cinemas in Cornwall, but we want to make sure it gets released in cinemas outside of Cornwall as well. Right. Um, so yeah. don't necessarily have a firm answer, but hopefully late autumn sort of time Amazing. there are a few film festivals in theory that we might be in in the summer so we'll kind of do like yeah. a little mini tour of film festivals and then hopefully be in cinemas i find this so interesting what you'd said earlier as well about the nerves being higher when it was being screened in cornwall because i was going to ask you the opposite question of how does it feel to be a cornishman going to these bigger events going to the big cities and sharing your work there but Maybe there's a sense of anonymity, I can never say that word, that, yes. that can help there. Yeah, uh, it's always sort of nerve-wracking showing the film because the imposter syndrome kicks back in and you, you, you sort of yeah. convince yourself somebody's going to go, wait a minute, do you think this is a film or whatever? <laughs> Which never happens. Touch wood, has never happened so far, I should say. Um, but certainly... Film festivals have a different kind of vibe and a different energy and a different audience as well. So there's normally a lot of filmmakers at a film festival. So they 
they watch the film in a slightly different way. Whereas when it played in, in Cornwall, it's that hometown audience and there were a lot of people at the first reading that I knew. So it was that thing of going, Oh, I hope they like it because, because mm. it's more of a drama and it, it, it's quite a, it's quite a sad film as well. Whereas Brown Willie was mm. a bit more sort of raucous and a bit more humorous. So again, yeah. I have that pang of guilt of going, I hope they're not expecting it to be like that because this is, this is quite different to Brown Willie. This was me getting out of my comfort zone as a writer and going, I, I want to try and do something different and explore different sort of facets of my personality, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. What a brave thing to do and an, and an interesting part of being an artist that you can keep on doing that. And, and on that strand, it, it in a slightly different way, I, I did want to talk about um, your experiment with the film Hand, where you actually documented your diagnosis of young onset Parkinson's, and and I won. That's again choosing a completely different facet of yourself. That's bringing such a personal element into film, and I wondered whether that was completely natural reflex to an experience of, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this into a film. That was sort of, that was kind of more like writing as therapy in a weird sort yeah. of way. So I, my hand started tremoring a few years ago and I filmed, I got some footage of it because I was like, okay, I'd like to look at this footage in a year's time because I can't work out if the tremor is getting worse or not. It seems fairly constant and that's, right. that's because it's with me all the time. So I don't notice it changing. So I'd, I'd filmed a little bit of footage of it and then about two years later was diagnosed. It was a very long process of getting diagnosed. And I got diagnosed six weeks before we shot Long Way Back. So I sort of didn't have any time or sort wow. of brain space to sort of process it. So got the shoot for Long Way Back out of the way and then we were in post-production on that. And then when we went into sort of lockdown, I think like a lot of people that that gave me some time of sort of self-reflection and I, I thought mm. maybe I should do, I, I'd been thinking about turning it into a film, but I was always very reticent to, because I was like, I don't know if I have anything to say about it. Mm. And, and so I sat down one day and just went, I'll just write some stuff. I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of write the story of how I got diagnosed, uh, what happened and see what comes of it. And if, if nothing comes of that, I never have to show it to anybody. Yeah. And then two and a half hours later, I was like, oh, turns out I have a lot of things to say. And actually, I'd <laughs> written things down that I hadn't realised until I'd written them down, if that makes sense. So I, I was writing yes. about the sort yeah. of diagnosis and Parkinson's and going, <clears throat> oh, I didn't know that's how I felt about that. So it was like sort of writing as therapy in a weird sort yeah. of way. And it was um, it was that thing of going... I'm just going to be as vulnerable as I can be mm. and make it so sort of personal and just go, okay, well, it's the same as making Long Way Back. It's the same as making Brown Willie. It's the same as doing Weekend Retreat. If you're going to go there, you've got to go there mm. as, as a creative, as an artist, as a writer. So if you're going to talk about it, you really need to talk about it. You need to face up to the sort of reality of it. And I think I did that. Yeah, it's so moving. It's and it it's interesting. I I just feel that as an artist, I quite often mine from my own personal experiences in my work. And but there is that funny edge where there's the point of doing it therapeutically for myself because that's a reflex. Like I said earlier, for me, writing comes easily and it's a way to explore something or or a potential route to explore it. You never know if it's going to go there or not. But then there's that next element, which is, but am I going to share this? Yeah. Am I going to then, because then that's me. Yes, it's my art and I've always shared that, but I'm also now sharing my personal story. So yeah, there's a real tenderness to it. And and I, how how has that been, having that be a part of your persona then that people know about in your work? It was, I mean, it was terrifying to, to share it because it was like, Oh man, because we, 
I'm my own worst enemy in that case because I showed it to Sai. Sai was really positive and just immediately went, this is great, we'll, we'll do this with it. O-Region, his company can get behind it. And then we set a sort of premiere date and we announced it online and people were like, ooh, what? It? And, you know, we didn't tell people what it was. We just said what wow. the film's title was. And then I went through this whole thing of going, oh, I now can't back out of this. And the film mm. was finished by that point. And I was like, and then the day it went live, I had the power to not to stop it going live. And I was sat in a field. I'd gone out for a walk that morning God. and I just sat there for about 30 seconds and went, it's like cliff jumping or something like that. There's that <laughs> moment before you jump where you go, well, I don't have to do this. Yeah. And then you leap and you take a leap into yeah. the sort of unknown. And, and my finger hovered over the button. My finger literally tremored over the button. <laughs> um, and then it, it just oh. sort of launched into the world. But yeah, it, there was such an overwhelming outpouring of positivity that came back. Mm. It sort of almost immediately was like, oh, this was a good idea. Mm. and again circles back to what we were saying earlier everything starts with you going i think this is a good idea and then eventually yeah. down the road somebody goes that was a good idea yes it was <laughs> yeah yeah and it's interesting because with this it's something that you you can't actually escape it this is going to be with you anyway yeah and so taking that leap it, it's kind of jumping very very quickly into I mean, acceptance is a very big word and I I'm, don't know if that's quite what I mean, but into ownership or accountability for something going on and being like, OK, all right, I'm doing it anyway. And then luckily getting that feedback. Yeah. And it's kind of it's pushed me into developing the next feature film, which is about Parkinson's, um, Wow, okay. which is a which is a comedy about Parkinson's. And it kind of pushed me to go, there's more stories to be told and there's more, there's more work to be done on, on this front. And I spoke to... Um, so I've developed a, a film, sort of a romantic comedy, sort of a lot of other things about Parkinson's disease. And I, I spoke to a really good friend of mine called Carl Gross, who's a playwright, like fantastic playwright, this size best friend from school... I've been lucky enough to be in a play that he's written called Superstition Mountain and it was mm. great and I was talking to him about the Parkinson's film and I said yeah are you um, are you allowed to make a, a comedy about Parkinson's disease is that <laughs> is that allowed can you make a comedy about Parkinson's disease and he went well you can yeah and I was like yeah. oh yeah I suppose I can <laughs> I suppose I suppose it affords me that uh, absolutely because it's not it's the same with Hand. I was very, very careful in the description for it to say this is not a film about Parkinson's disease because I can't make a film about Parkinson's disease, but I can make a film about my experience of it. Yeah. Because I yeah. don't want anybody to think that I am an authority on the disease or anything like that because I'm not. And I got some things wrong in Hand, which I had some feedback mm. on from people on online, which was amazing and opened up some really interesting conversations but again yeah. with with the sort of feature i'm trying to very much frame it from my perspective and my experiences mm. oh i can't wait it sounds amazing uh, i'm really aware that we're coming to the end of our conversation but there's a couple things i wanted to ask you about the writing process that kind of link on so so i'm wondering about how parkinson's affects your working life but also I'm going to squeeze two things into one, which is really <laughs> cheeky of me. But I'm aware you're a new... Are you a new dad? Is that I right? I am a new dad, yes. A My new son is dad, six old. Which, oh, six. So, yeah, you've li you're literally having a new film out. You're working on another project. You only have a six-month-old now. And there's a health issue in the mix, too. And I just wonder, how do you balance all of that in your working, writing, creative life? Okay, so the first question about how Parkinson's disease sort of directly affects writing is, um, well, there are sort of two answers to that. One is I, I do, I have very, very, very erratic sleep what with Parkinson's and a six-month-old. Um, so I get tired mm. quite easily and I get quite tired at weird times of the day and then wide awake seemingly at very useless times in the night. Um so that affects sort of writing and managing the work that I'm doing. But, the, but an even more practical direct effect from Parkinson's is my left hand gets very fatigued very quickly. 
So yeah. typing is actually <laughs> becoming increasingly difficult. So in the future, I think I'm going to have to look into sort of um, dictation software. Yeah. But that's not the same, is it? We all sort of know as, mm. as writers, that's that's actually typing, I find, is quite an important part of it because it informs what words you use, the rhythm of it and all, all of those sorts of things. So that's how it directly yeah. affects it. And I've forgotten your second question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, how do, you, how do you balance that then? So it sounds to me that you are just learning to adapt as you go and there's that openness of, okay, I've got two new things in my life, a, a child and a, a disease that, that are going to keep changing because that's the nature yeah. of both of them. But I'm going to keep working so I, also. I heard a thing years ago from the comedian Jerry Seinfeld who has this process that he writes every day and every day he writes, he puts a cross on the, the calendar and then when you get five crosses in a row, you've got a chain. And then you get ten in a row, you make an even longer chain. And his thing is, don't break the chain. Don't break the chain. Just do a little bit of writing mm. every day. And I find my process is little and often. So I try and write something every day, even if it's just one sentence or just scribbling down an idea or an image for a film. I find that that keeps yeah. the sort of storytelling part of my brain engaged every day. Um and actually, off the back yeah. of hand, I've started writing outside of the sort of screenplay formats. So I've written some short stories, and which may never see the light of day. But again, it keeps your idea chamber bubbling. Mm. And it keeps the sort of storytelling part of your brain. And then the other thing that I've started doing is seven sentence stories. And this was inspired by uh, my friend Anna Murphy. Mm. And I basically wrote one, one. I was out on a dog walk in the morning and I wrote one very very quickly with the sole purpose of sending it to Anna to go I bet this will make you laugh and it did make her laugh and then they're, they're a really fun thing to start writing because I find the best thing to do with those is not think don't think at all just go I've got to write seven sentences and tell a story and write when you've got no time to write and what comes out is almost straight from your subconscious and it's really interesting it uncovers character moments or ideas that you wouldn't consciously sort of think of mm. so I find my process is little and often works really well for me but I know conversely I know size processes he doesn't do little and often his will be sign needs a deadline and he can work wonders if he knows he's got a deadline looming whereas I fear a deadline and right. find a deadline very stressful right but I think part of writing is understanding your process and how to give yourself space to effectively do what you want to do. Absolutely. And that just comes from trying out different processes, I find. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's spot on. And and I guess it's then finding out, OK, as life changes, how do I continue to manage to to find the space for my process in, in a different form, perhaps to how it was before and and um, the last question I wanted to ask you is to describe your ideal writing day and I'm now curious thinking yeah okay so maybe for Brett that's not a whole day with peace and quiet and um I don't know someone said a foot massage before <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> for you actually the perfect writing day is more like the day where you can insert little bits and and that's part of your ideal process I don't know what do you want to throw in there to make it even more perfect my ideal writing day is being able to take the dog out for a walk, for a good long walk, because I do all my best writing when I'm not sat at my desk and when I'm out walking the dog and I'm able to just think. Because I find that if you're sat in front of a blank page and you can't get it to work, get out, get out of the mm. house, get away from the blank page, because the hardest thing about writing is the blank page, isn't it? It's starting, mm. it's going, where do I go next? What is the thing? So actually, I think my ideal writing day is out with the dog for a few hours in the morning and then I want what I want is that feeling of rushing through the door going I need to write this down mm. before I forget it yeah that's the ideal writing thing for me yeah okay I gift it to you <laughs> you have it <laughs> except first you've got to now run out the door and go for a swim yes yeah. oh Brett it's been lovely thank you so much for talking with us thank you very much for having me this has been really fun super
You've been listening to the Writer's Block podcast. We'll be back next term with another episode and another inspiring conversation with a Cornwall-based writer. Click subscribe to hear when this episode is released and to help us share these conversations with others. Find out more about The Writer's Block at thewritersblock.org.uk. Music and sound was by Jimmy Marshall from southwestsonic.com. Thank you for listening.